already squawked at us once, but uh, we'll see how it goes. You know, you can set up a mic with an empty room, and it's totally different. So please bear with the with the guys back there if they have to adjust a little bit. Hopefully, it won't uh, destroy you too much. Well, so you are the people who set your clocks back, huh? <laughs> no, forward. I'm sorry. Yeah, forward. I'm a little bit offended by this daylight saving. Why do they do it on a Sunday morning? You know, it's like church doesn't matter. You know, we just don't want you late Monday. So I'm going to sign a petition. Will you sign it with me? And uh, say, stop doing this or do it, do it through the week sometime. How about that? No, we're stuck with it. Hey, remember two weeks, no, one week from today uh, at 5 o'clock, we'll have our annual business meeting. It'll be at 5 o'clock. It's once a year we get together, and according to our Constitution and bylaws, we share with you the uh, annual report for the previous year and just talk about uh, the stuff that's going on on the business side of the church. We've got one deacon election that uh, we're going to have as well. So remember, if you are a member of this church, you have to have been a member for 30 days to participate in it. If you're not a member, you can come and spectate. <laughs> you can kind of check on what's going on. But uh, we'll give you the full, uh, the full story of how things went on the business side of the church last year. Isn't it exciting? A great blessing. You know, it's just something we have to do to get through, right? <laughs> you know, it's not a great blessing, but it's part of the, the uh, church life that has to be taken care of. And remember, our ladies group just started up last week, Tuesday's ladies. So remember, at uh, 7 o'clock on Tuesdays, the ladies group is fired back up after taking a break. So remember that as well. Are you ready for the word? Are you ready? So you need to, you need to amen for like two or three people today, all right? You've got to bounce that around a little bit. Uh, I'm going to finish this series today. <laughs> I'm going to finish it. I know I started the last Sunday of December. Uh, resolutions that, um, that heal. And today I'm going to finish the second part of that last section called What Am I to You? And I think for us to have the kind of connections we have to have in the body of Christ, to have a fruitful life, we have to connect with each other in a significant spiritual relationship that causes us to know what each other's about. Have you ever got into trouble for talking to somebody in a way that they didn't think you had a right to talk to them? Hello? <laughs> I can't be the only one, right? And I'm going to speak to you today about some things that, that come into play in that. Remember, the theme of this uh, series is that you and I should have a life that is full of the fruit of the Spirit, which is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. And that we have to begin to think, if this isn't happening, then something has gone wrong fundamentally in my life and I need to do something about it because I don't want to live my life as a fruitless believer. Amen. I want to be fruitful. And I've been sharing with you from Luke chapter 13 that parable of the unfiggy fig tree. And remember he said, instead of cutting it down, I'm going to break up the ground around it and I'm going to fertilize it and we'll see if it will not produce fruit. And remember I told you last week, if you were here, that in order for someone to speak into my life, I want them to pass through three tests. In order for someone to speak into my life, I want to know, first of all, that they love Jesus. 
Secondly, I want to know that they love the Word of God. I don't need their opinion. i got opinions. Everybody's got opinions. I need the Word of God. If I'm going to let someone have a critical conversation with me, I need to know it's based in the unmovable, immutable Word of God. So I need them to love God. I need them to love the Word of God. And I need them to love me. And see, that's where I say, because as I started this series, a lot of people have asked me, well, how do you know who to let talk to you? I say, these are the three big ones. Do you love God? Do you love the Word of God? And do you love me? If you do those three things, I can relax and listen to what you have to say about me. You can constructively criticize me if I know it's coming out of those. Last week I told you that we are our brother's keeper. I told you that iron sharpens iron. Today I want to say this is something that we should ask the people around us. Am I a strength in your life? Is that a responsibility that I have to you? Ecclesiastes chapter 4 verse 9. Two are better than one because they have a good return on their work. If one falls, his friend can help him up. But pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. Also, if two lie down, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? That was a good winter message, wasn't it? (laughs) Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly or not easily broken or quickly broken. So we have words of wisdom here coming from Solomon, and and he makes four points here. First of all, partnership multiplies the return on your efforts. Partnership multiplies the return on your effort. When you put together, put yourself together, that did you know you and somebody else can do more work than you can in double the time you work? There's something about that extra set of hands. So he says it's going to multiply what you're doing. I want to tell you something. Have you woke up yet? Because I want to tell you something. I want to make sure you're awake for this. God's plan for your life. It's too big for you. You're going to need some help. God's plan for your life is too big for you. You're going to need some help. You're going to need people to step into your life and empower you to fulfill God's plan for your life. You're not going to be able to do it as the Lone Ranger. You're going to need Tonto. (laughs) You're going to need some help. And that's what Ecclesiastes means. Who is that? Secondly, partnership helps us recover from a fall. If you fall while you're alone, pity you. Now, um, I sort of grew up with a chainsaw in my hand. My dad and my dad's dad, they were timber people, so I was always surrounded by chainsaws. And so um, I'm comfortable with a chainsaw in my hand. I have cal. If you shake my hand, you might say, well, he, his hands are not like normal preachers. They have calluses, you know. But there's one rule that I have because I understand a chainsaw is that I never allow myself to operate a chainsaw in the woods when I'm alone. Because I know the capacity of a chainsaw to create a mortal injury instantly. 
And if I do have to be there alone, I usually will call somebody and say, will you call me every few minutes and see if I'm bleeding out? In fact, you, you may have noticed I got a little cough today because some of us got together and ran chainsaws just in inhaling the dust. I don't have corona. I have oak. You know, <clears throat> I kind of inhaled that sawdust for a while yesterday. But I know that uh, if I would get hurt, that there would be guys there. In fact, they even had a, a, a paramedic there with me. I, I, I thought, this is good. I know he can, he can jump in and help if something happens because I know it's, it's so dangerous. Anything can happen. A tree can break. This can happen. It's so dangerous. You dare not do this alone. Life is that way. Life is so dangerous that you can't afford to do this alone. You can get hurt so badly so quickly that somebody needs to be there to check on you, to pick you up and encourage you. I'm going to finish this series today. So you guys better get to listening. Are we going to be here till noon? <laughs> no, wait, we're going to be here till one, which will feel like, it'll only feel like noon, won't it? When I was uh, about 17 or 18 years old, I was preaching every Wednesday night at my home church. And uh, I was preaching. I remember there was uh, this one older gentleman. To be honest with you, I don't really know how old it was because when you're 17, everybody seems old. But as I remember him, he was an older gentleman. I I mean, he may have been that archaic in his 50s kind of thing. I mean, he, he might have been way up in that advanced age. Uh, I'm not sure. But uh, I'm not going to mention his name because of these videos get everywhere, including back home. And But he, he was such a, a blessing to me as a 17-year-old kid who was preaching every Wednesday night, and, and people in the community started coming to that little country church and and, and, and I remember this guy in particular, he would always come up to me after church, and, and, and he just had such a tender spirit to him. He would he'd just put his arms around me and say, oh, Brother Jeff, there's such a call on your life. It's so good to see a young man. Every Wednesday night, I got a pep talk after church from this guy. And it, it, I just learned to love this guy because he was such an encouragement to me. And you know at 17, I had to be preaching some weird stuff. You know, I, there's no telling, you know. In fact, I'm sure some of them were longhorn sermons. Do you know what a longhorn sermon is? Huh? Anybody? There's a point over here. And way over here, there's another point. And there's a whole lot of bull in between. <laughs> See, the people who are sleeping right now, they miss that, you know. <laughs> I remember after a couple years of having this, this guy in my life, in fact, I think he, he may have actually attended another church, but on Wednesday nights he was always there to hear me preach and, and to, to encourage me. I sat down with him when I became a, a pastor, and, and I, I said to him, would, would you come and be a part of this church we're doing? Will you come and help me? I, I understand that 
but at one time you were a preacher and all I, I just love your spirit love it and he said well no 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 you're, you're such a man of God. You're such a prayer warrior. I really need people like you around me right now. Would you please? And he, he just he just would not. And I remember I, I went to somebody and I said, how come as godly a man as he is, how come he won't just get in and, and be a part of the church and step up and help us lead? And he seems to have it all together. And uh, I remember I had an aunt pull me aside and said, let me tell you a story. I used to go listen to him preach, and man, he was on fire for God. He did all kinds of uh, you know, powerful things in the communities and win people to Christ. But she said, we all know it, but you. Uh, he had a moral failure. He had a moral failure. She said, there came a time when it came out that he was having an affair, just destroyed his marriage uh, his wife left him his mistress brings him the child that was conceived in this affair hands him this baby boy and leaves disappears we don't even know where she went and um, that was the end of him he never set foot in the pulpit ever again he worshiped God from a distance he would encourage you but he will never step up in leadership ever again. And I suppose he died in that condition. You know what happened? He fell, and there was no one to help him up. He fell, and there was no one to come along and say, this was really bad what happened, but God's not finished with you. Hello? Hello? He fell. No doubt about it. He fell. And there was no one to help him get back up. Do you know the grace of God can do some incredible things if you'll just let it? Hello? If you'll let it? I'm going to finish today. Surely. I'm already promoting next week's sermon. I better know. Hadn't I? Partnership help us recover, helps us recover from a fall. To rise from a fall, you're going to need people that will gather around you and lift you up and encourage you and tell you there's going to be a tomorrow. Sometimes you need people that will sit in the middle of that debris field, what was your life, sort through what went wrong, and get back up and go again. Come on, tell me you're okay, you know. <laughs> Thirdly, partnership protects us from the cold. The Bible is written in a time when air conditioners and central air is not there. And so you understand, if I'm going to stay warm, I'm going to have to throw a blanket and around with somebody else so that the body warmth is, is going to heat us both up. And this is true of life. Life can be cold and cruel. And we need people that we can huddle up with and stay warm in those Bitter cold time, seasons of life. You ever talk to someone when life, your life is coming apart and it seems like everything is kind of frozen up on you and you feel yourself thawing out just by being in their presence? That's partnership. 
Partnership empowers us over an attack. <coughs> life is going to have its adversity, and you can count on this. There's going to be attacks on your life. There's this saying in the military, I understand, it says something like this, I've got your six. <laughs> you know what that means? I got your back. I got your six. They say the enemy's coming at 12 o'clock. Well, six o'clock is behind you. I got your back. We need those kind of relationships in life. The devil is good at deception, so you and I need people who are watching our back, who are saying, I'm watching you, I'm praying for you, I'm there with you, I'm guarding you. Let's move to number four. Am I a partner in your mission? Am I a partner in your mission? The Bible says in Luke chapter 10, verse 1, After this the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them, underline this, two by two, ahead of him in every town and place where he is about to go. And he told them the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. As I read that when I was preparing this message several weeks ago, it dawned on me, and I tried to find a way to see if maybe I had messed up here. And if you found it where I'm wrong on what I'm about to say, send me a private email. Don't embarrass me in front of everybody. But it dawned on me that Jesus didn't send out individuals. He sent out teams. He, he doesn't say, bang, here you are, you go. When he sent out Paul, he sent out Paul and Silas, Paul and Barnabas. He didn't send out individuals. And so that leads me to conclude that rather than ask God, what is your will for my life? Say, God, what is your team for my life? Who should I be connecting with? Because who I'm supposed to team up with is as important as what I'm supposed to be doing. See? God sent them out to what I want to know if I'm in your life is, am I a partner in your ministry? If I'm a partner in your ministry, it means that we've got a responsibility to each other. And again, I say if you look at the people around you and you know them, it's kind of weird if you don't know them, but if you look at the people around you and you ask them, am I a partner in your ministry? Am I part of what God has called you to do? Three things to consider about God's call on your life. Three things to consider about God's call on your life. How many? Uh, you are awake. The heavenly call from God will include an earthly call to partnerships. An earthly call to partnerships. God will align you with people who can empower his call on your life. I'm not a mechanic, but I'm going to tell you some mechanical stuff. You may have read this in the blurb this week. Um, I'm under the impression, uh, Dustin over here, you're the mechanic, so if, you, if I'm wrong, just shake your head like I'm right. You know, You have this engine that is creating all kinds of power especially if it's a ram engine. It is a, a power plant. <laughs> it's not. I see guys all over the place looking down. Anyway, <clears throat> you have this power plant. It's a V8 with a Hemi. And, and it's creating all this power. But as long as all this power is under the hood, nothing is really happening for you. 
You can listen to it rev up, but it's not doing anything. But somehow all this power gets transferred to the transmission. And the transmission takes that power and aligns the gears of the transmission and the gears that are aligned begin to turn a drive shaft, which begins to eventually turn tires. And it's when those gears align, we decide, do I want speed or do I want power? Those gears align and decide, how in the world is this big old heavy automobile going to fly down the road? It's by that proper alignment. And all the power that God has put in you is probably going to require some alignment before it creates motion. And I just don't know any place where God is doing great things through one person. Look at God when He calls someone to do something great. He starts putting a team around them, or rather I should say, He puts them on a team. See? And so we ask each other, am I part of your team? Are you part of my team? Is this part of what God is doing in our lives? God will align you with people who will empower your call. Secondly, we should pray for the who. (laughs) Pray for the who of God's will as much as the what. Pray for the who. God, who do I need in my life? Not, Lord, will you send people in my life that will tell me what I want to hear? Will you send people in my life so that I can... You know, not be stretched too much. We send people in my life that will challenge me. Who are you going to put in my life? Have you ever heard of the crab principle? Would you like to hear about the crab principle? (laughs) You've heard it. I've told you before. Let me tell you again. It's anecdotal evidence. I heard this guy saying that he was sitting on a beach one day watching as a guy was hunting for crabs. He goes out in the ocean and he um, grabs a crab, throws it in the basket, and slams the lid on. He goes back out, grabs a crab, throws it in the basket, slams the lid on. Then he gets several crabs in there, and he comes up and he throws the crab in the basket and he leaves the lid off. He throws it and he leaves the lid off. And the guy said, I just could not understand why he was so protective of one or two, but not a bunch. So he said, I had to go down and say, the guy who told this was John Maxwell, he said, I had to go down and say, i got to know, why are you so careful to put a lid on when there's only one or two, but now that you've got a bunch, you don't put a lid on it? He said, you don't know crabs, do you? He said, no. He said, when there's only one or two, they will crawl up the side and get out. You put several on there, they'll hold each other down. Every time one starts up the side of the box, one will grab it and pull it down. You got some people like that in your life. Somebody just poked somebody, didn't they? Every time you start making progress, somebody reaches up and pulls you back down. So you have a choice. You could stay in the basket and be the mayor of Crabtown. Or you can break away and, and head up. Because sometimes we want people in our lives who will keep us down because it's comfortable just sitting there. We don't want the people in our lives that tell us things that challenge us. 
you come and talk to me sometime and and you say, I, I, if I'm giving you spiritual advice as your pastor and you, you lay a problem out, I'm telling you something I'll probably do unless it's a real fluffy conversation. But if it's a substantial conversation, I will ask you at some point, do I have your permission to speak plainly to you? And I'm going to remind you that you gave me that permission at some point. Because all of us need people that will love God, love the Word, love us, and speak plainly to us. Huh? You don't want to be the mayor of Crabville anymore. You, you want to, to rise up and get out of that basket and go where you're supposed to go. So we pray for the who, and then we pray uh, the ministry partnerships embrace the role of each person. Ministry partnerships embrace the role of each person. In other words, we don't partner so you can make me successful. We partner so we will be successful. Hello? We get together so God's work is successful. I'm going to finish today. Number five, am I your accountability? Here's one that I think so often we get in trouble because I'm operating under the impression that we have a relationship where I'm your accountability, you can be my accountability, and we can kind of have a tough conversation. And then you get into one of those tough conversations and you realize, ah, they, didn't, <laughs> they didn't think that we, we had that kind of relationship. So I'm telling you that all of us need people in our lives that are holding us accountable. Now, I know what you're thinking. What am I thinking? You're thinking, well, I thought you already preached about that when you said iron sharpens iron. That's what you're thinking, right? You don't even remember when I preached that, do you? But anyway, I thought of this. I said iron sharpens iron. Now, am I your accountability partner? Let me tell you the difference. Iron sharpens iron as a consequence of an ongoing relationship. I'm with you and we're interacting with each other. And as a result of the spiritual dynamic in both of our lives, we are sharpening each other. We're challenging each other. And it's not just, hey, you've got a problem. Let me pray with you about it. Let me talk to you about it. It's simply just hanging out together, iron and sharpening iron. I try, I have to ask the people around me whether it's successful or not, I try when I am in an ongoing relationship with people that we have conversations that are spiritually enriching I say, let me tell you what I've learned from the Word this week. You have the, that's iron sharpening iron. Now, accountability is one of us is doing something wrong and the other one loves us too much not to say something. That's accountability. Now, it can fit into the iron sharpens iron, but it is a little different category. Say amen. Here we go. Galatians chapter 2, verse 11. When Peter came to Antioch, I... Paul, some of you are going to need to mark this. You're going to need to mark this. I, and I is Paul, opposed him to his face. Not behind his back. Not on the prayer request line. I opposed him to his face because he was clearly wrong. Paul said, I was Paul, Peter's accountability partner. 
in that situation, this was Peter who knew that God had called Gentiles into the kingdom of God and he had reverted back into racism. After all that happened in Acts 9 and 10, where Peter was delivered from, from that racism, and now somehow in Galatians he has reverted back to it, and Paul said he wouldn't even eat with non-Jews. And the deception was so powerful that even Barnabas was being led astray. So he said, I opposed him to his face. I opposed him to his face. I saw someone on Facebook not long ago saying, I don't think a preacher should ever call out another preacher. And I just stuck this verse on the timeline. <laughs> oh, I love that kind of stuff. Paul didn't agree with you. Paul said, if you are doing something that is deceptive, somebody should call you out as a preacher, as an apostle. But uh, here's what I like. Paul has got up in Peter's face, Peter being the first pope. You know, the infallible pope, who was very fallible. And uh, he, I would guess, embarrassed him in front of the people that were there. And you know how that sat with Peter, don't you? Well, let me tell you how it sat with Peter. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 15. Bear in mind, this is Peter talking, that our Lord's patience means salvation. Just as our dear brother Paul. What? Just as our dear brother Paul. Paul wrote you with the wisdom God gave him. Does this sound like a bitter guy? He writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort. He's talking about Paul's writings. They distort, as they do other scriptures, to their own destruction. Peter's not mad. He's not bitter. He said, let me tell you about Paul. Yes, the Paul that called me on the carpet. The call, Paul that rebuked me in front of everybody. There was that really awkward event there in Galatia that day. Let me tell you about that guy. He's my brother. He's my brother. And he writes... With the wisdom God gave him. And some of the stuff he writes is, is hard to understand, even though it was written with the wisdom God gave him. It's hard to understand it. But ignorant people distort what he wrote just the way they do the other scripture. What is he doing? He's putting Paul's writings on the same level as the other scripture. He said they do that to their own destruction. Had Peter rejected Paul's rebuke, he would have done it to his own destruction. When I rebuke, when I reject my brother's righteous rebuke, I do it to my own destruction. Huh? We, uh, I'm going to finish today. Have I mentioned that? We've kind of become a culture of spiritual snowflakes and butterflies. 
that we can't take um, a righteous rebuke. Let me change the word rebuke. That's too harsh. Somebody might not need to go to their safe place for a while. <laughs> we can't take accountability. When someone moves into our lives and says, hey, that's not biblical, we flip out. Look what Peter did. He said, Paul, my brother, not that judgmental hypocrite, Paul, my brother, has written to us things from the wisdom God gave him. Some of it's hard to understand. Let's talk about accountability, shall we? Five things real quickly. Accountability, five things we need to know. Most of all, we must have the humility to accept constructive criticism. We must have the humility to accept constructive And that's what it is. It's humility. Someone comes up and points out something in our life that's not right and we get mad. That's a pride thing. Say amen. It's a pride thing. Secondly, we must have confidence in the spiritual depth of the criticizer. It's okay for someone to hold me accountable. I just want to know they're walking it. I want to know they're living close to God. If, if God's speaking to them through me, I, I, uh, I need to know they're there. Thirdly, we must trust the heart of the criticizer. Can I tell you guys, I'm having a senior moment. About uh, When I was in my 30s, I, I had a, a, a season of what I would call almost chronic depression. Did I tell you guys that? Did I tell you that? I'm getting some, yes, some, no. I, I better tell you again just in case I didn't. Because it's a, it's a very important lesson. I think I may have given you a hint of it enough. But I was going through this season, and I don't know, I was probably about 33 years old, still wet behind the ears, you know. And uh, I had gone through the season where I just couldn't overcome this dark depression, this sickness in the pit of my stomach. And it just life was not any fun at all for me. It was, I'd wake up in the morning feeling gloom and doom. And if I painted the picture well enough, it was a tough season for me. And I was praying one time, and I said, God, it's really hard for me to be a spiritual leader and be down all the time. It's really difficult for me to project. And the Lord revealed to me, he didn't, I didn't hear an audible voice, but I, I saw it just as clearly as, as I ever saw something God was trying to say to me. He said, you have to stop people from dumping garbage in your life. You have to stop that. And I don't know, I think they're everywhere, but in Arkansas a lot of times you'll come up on an old illegal dumping site and there's an old white sign stuck in the middle of the garbage, no dumping. <laughs> I remember I made one of those and I carried it to the pulpit. 
and I stuck it in the flagpole holder. And I said, some of us need to put this up over our lives. No dumping. Don't let someone criticize you if you don't trust their heart. If, the, if you don't trust that their heart is for you and for God's plan for you, they have no business criticizing you. In the heart, of, in a dark heart, there is destruction. And I don't want that destruction coming from them into me. And they all said, number four, we must believe our position of favor with God is secure. And I've talked to you about that. If you know who you are in Christ, you can take some criticism. When your ego is real fragile, you can't. But if you know who you are in Christ and someone criticizes you a little bit, you're, you're okay with that because you haven't lost yourself. You know God loves you. And number five, we must place spiritual health above our feelings. And I say, you know, that hurt my feelings. It made me feel bad. But when I really got down and prayed about it and thought it through it, I needed to hear it. I needed to hear it. I needed someone to challenge me and tell me that, you know, I'm, I'm drifting off course somehow. I needed that. All right. We're going to get finished today. Did I mention that? Number five, am I your rescuer? And again, I'm not talking about me. I'm talking about the way we relate to other people. In fact, you take all these, there's six, six of them, and have a talk with your spouse. Can we be these things to each other? That would be great. Um, my brother, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring him back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save him from death and cover a multitude of sins. Can I read that again? My brothers, that's, that is another way of saying fellow Christians, male and female, fellow believers, if one of you, if one of you fellow believers should wonder from the truth and someone bring him back, remember this, that whoever turns a sinner, now the fellow believer has wondered and become a sinner. See that? Brother, wonder, sinner. <laughs> whoever turns a sinner from the error of his ways will save him from death and cover a multitude of sins. Now, there may be some that say that you can die spiritually and still go to heaven. I can't get there. My mind, I can't get there. If I'm trying to save you from death, it means your very soul is in danger. So let's take a look at this. We are people that we're in life and people are racing toward a spiritual death. If you, if you take a look around you, I bet right now, I bet if you would just close your eyes and take a look around you, there's your spouse, there's your son, there's your daughter, there's your kids, there's your grandkids. There's, there's all these people, there's your friends, your neighbors, all these people walking under the banner of Christianity. And some of them have wandered from the truth and are racing towards spiritual death. And that's, this is written to you. And what does it teach us? What does this passage teach us? 
first of all, it tells us that believers can wander from the truth. That there is a possibility that we could wander from the truth. Brothers, sisters, fellow believers, if one of you wanders from the truth, know that if you go and rescue him, you have, you have rescued a sinner. So he's gone from sinner to or from brother to, to wanderer to sinner. And the next step is death in this passage. Secondly, someone should attempt a rescue. If someone should bring him back. The fellow believers wanting from the truth, someone should step up and step in. This is where we get in trouble. When we try to stage a spiritual intervention and we say, you know, there's something changing about that brother. There's something changing about that sister. You can just see that they, their spiritual life is fading away. Somebody needs to do something. Hello? Someone's got to do something. Someone has got to do something. This, this person has gone from believer to wanderer to sinner. The next step is death. Somebody's got to do something. It always wonder, worry, concerns me. I think, are we even thinking when someone is wandering away from God and we close our, our, fold our arms and go, that's between them and the Lord. I mean, would you drive up on an accident, see someone with a severed artery bleeding out and say, whether you die or not, that's between you and the Lord. No, we would jump in there and we'd put pressure on that wound and we'd try to say, is there any way I can preserve this person's life, right? Have I lost it? <laughs> I mean, have I lost my mind here? He said, am I, am I your rescuer? Someone should attempt to rescue. At times, our need to be liked has eternal consequences. I need you to like me so I'm not going to tell you what you desperately need to hear. There's eternal consequences to that. You know, if I sit down and someone would say, wow, you don't even look like the believer you used to be. You used to be so in love with Jesus. You used to be passionate now. Man, I just don't see any of, of that. Something has gone wrong. And there is a very good chance that you're going to hear him say something like this. Who are you to judge me? We're all sinners. Hello? Someone should attempt to rescue I mean, isn't that what James is saying? If a brother wonders, somebody should go after him. Someone should go after her. I think sometimes we act like eternity is no big deal. Hello? I'll just pass on that story because we're going to finish today. I gotta hurry. 
Wandering away from truth is wandering away, wandering towards spiritual death. You see it? If one of you should wander from the truth, whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way has saved a soul from death. Wandering away from truth is wandering toward death, spiritual death. Then restoring someone to truth is restoring them to grace. Their sin, listen, listen, their sin doesn't matter when grace has been applied. Because it has been covered. A multitude of sin has been... You see, grace comes over my life and turns me into spiritual Teflon. My sin doesn't stick to me anymore. It just kind of falls off under His grace. So it's, it's, it just doesn't stick. It's true, but it doesn't stick. But the moment I wander away from grace, all the sins I have ever committed are stuck again. So whenever I restore a wandering brother to the truth, I restore him to grace and his sin no longer sticks. It falls away. It doesn't, doesn't matter what they've done. It doesn't matter where they've gone. It doesn't matter the filth that may have come into the... All that matters is that grace has saved someone from eternal death and covered a multitude of sins. Sins are uncovered. I... Uh, I, uh, there have been times in my life, you know, I feel like my wife and I raised three wonderful kids, and as they grew up and got out of our house, out from under our authority, you know, we may have taken a walk and not been in church so much for a while. Now, thank God, they're all back in church serving the Lord. But um, I remember in those seasons where maybe they weren't all serving God the way I wanted to, I wasn't afraid to irritate them. I wasn't afraid to be an irritant. In fact, I gloried in it. I was glad of it. I don't know why this is, but and I'm glad it is, but uh, a lot of times my, my kids would come to me for advice. What do you think about this or this? My advice was always, you've got to get right with God. You've got to get right with God. Nothing else is going to work until you first get right with God. It kind of amazes me when we step up and attempt a rescue mission, who gets offended? It amazes me. It amazes me that when you step up and say, what's going on with you? 
stuff has come into your life that is explicitly unbiblical. What's going on with you? Come on. Let's have a Bible study. I think it is better to tell someone something they don't want to hear and have them take a season to get over it than for you to let them head towards spiritual death and maintain a good relationship with them. I think it is preferred. It is preferred to step up and say, you understand this is true. Have a Bible study or have the scripture memorized. I'm going to read this one more time and I'm going to quit. I'm going to paraphrase a little bit. Believers, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone bring him back, the church as a business doesn't do that very well. The church as a civil organization that people patronize once a week or so doesn't do that very well. But brothers and sisters should. Brothers, if one of you should wander from the truth, someone should bring him back. Someone should say, he matters. She matters. We can't look the other way and let them die. See? Remember this. Whichever one of you goes after them and brings them back, you've saved that guy, that gal from death. And you've just brought grace back into life. And every sin they have ever committed falls off of them. We should be excited about that. We should be excited about that. That there is something that will take every ugly thing about you and remove it. We should really be excited about that. I thank God that at critical moments, at pivotal intersections, God sent people into my life that loved me too much to spare my feelings. I thank God for those people who looked me in the eye and said, buddy, you better rethink what you're doing. Boy, it ticked me off at the time. Fuzzed me up. Sent me out the door pouting. But now I look back and thought, God, thank you. I feel those moments are frozen in my mind. I, I remember where I was standing. I remember where that person was. I remember what they said. I remember how it felt. And then I think, man, that was such a pivotal moment. That someone called me into account. The Bible says, Paul rebuked him to his face. And he said, That's my brother. That's my brother. He he says things that God told him to say. And if you don't listen, you're distorting God and God's message to your own destruction. Amen? Amen. Stand with me, please. I'm going to assume something 
and I'm not going to assume it sarcastically. It may sound like it, but it's not sarcastic. I'm going to assume that you here, uh, having slept an hour short, and you got out and pressed through, I'm going to assume, I know there's some exceptions, that you're not the one wandering away from the truth. But I am also, oh, man, I, I sense the Holy Spirit. I am also There's people in your life who are wandering from the truth. You better do a rescue effort. God wants you to care more about their soul than their feelings. We're not talking about some financial loss. We're not even talking about some physical loss of their health. We're talking about their soul. Their very soul. Man, you got no choice. You got no choice. You got to get the heart of God and get after them. There is just too much at stake. I'm not saying be obnoxious and hateful and rude, I'm saying be spiritual. Be biblical, be loving, be honest. There are people in your life that once knew God. They were on fire for God. They walked with God. And they have wandered from the faith. And they have become a sinner. Spirit, we invite you to come into our lives. Make us spiritual rescuers. Lord, give us the ability to speak the truth in love. Give us the wisdom that this will plan out. And God, I ask, I plead with you, will you surround that wanderer with your protection? Please don't let anything bad happen to them. Lord, protect their life until this rescue is complete. Lord, surround them, Lord, with your protection. And then get us to them the best way you can, the most effective way you can. 
Lord, shake off the lethargy. Lord, shake off the neglect in our lives and help us to be passionate about reaching them before wandering into sin becomes death. Please, Lord, shake us and awaken us. And then, Father, I praise you that as you look upon us, if there is anyone here today that does not know you as the Savior, I ask you, Father, that your grace and your spirit would speak to them and help them know that that you will wash away every sin. All they need to do is just accept you as they believe in their heart and confess with their mouth, Jesus is Lord. They're being saved. In his precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. That ends the series. (laughs) Next week I have a brand new series becoming undeceivable in a confusing world. I'm really looking forward to this, so hang with me for that. You guys have got some missions you're going to start this week. I'll be praying for you. If you'd like special prayer concerning those things, shoot me a message to say, there's somebody on my heart that I, I need to rescue. Please pray with me, and we'll definitely be doing that. Amen. God bless. See you later. You're dismissed.